or good evening depending upon where in the world you are and what time of the day you're listening to the latest esque podcast today's a very special one i've got um, neil wilson home wilson home with me sorry neil mispronouncing your name um and if you've listened in, in in the last few weeks neil's appeared a couple of times so it's great to have you back neil and glad to be here good thank you and i have um mr philip mcnulty who is, um, I'm delighted that he's joining us. So Phil, uh, welcome and um, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. I thought I'd save it to the end of the season so you have plenty to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well listen, most people, um, the people who listen to my podcast know, know my views about the club. So um, today, um, I think we want to hear both of your views more than mine, but, but I, I will obviously chip in. So, I mean, it's obviously been a very difficult season for, for almost every club, probably Liverpool accepted. Um, but for Everton in particular, uh, there was a plan at the beginning of the season. And I, I was told by a board member there was a very clear plan and there was a very clear target in terms of the number of points, uh, which we were supposed to um, get, but we didn't. And um, yeah, it all went a bit sort of pear-shaped. Neil, let's start with you. Well, it went pear-shaped very quickly, didn't it? Yeah. Um, our... our... Pre-season was, as has become the norm with us, somewhat disorganised, um, both in terms of the fixtures that we held. You know, things were arranged again somewhat late, although a bit earlier than in previous years. But also our transfer business with um, the typical deadline day scramble and the inevitable deadline day deal that we normally live to regret. I think Fellaini's one of our great exceptions on that in the past um and we got off to a shocking start under silver who just looked progressively more and more confused and, and frankly in the way often happens with our managers by the time we actually fired him it was a blessing because he looked direct um we age managers very very quickly so it, it we didn't get off to we didn't lay a good foundation in the pre-season we got off to a shocking start we never really recovered but hey, we do have Carlo as manager, so it's not all bad. That's very true. Phil, you're 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 in a great position of um, because of your the job that you do, and obviously covering football generally, uh, of seeing most I guess most of the Premier League clubs throughout the season. Um, why is it that Everton have got uh, are one of the better resource clubs, but seem to be one of the least efficient in terms of using those resources? One of the old uh, cliches of football is that, you know, three things are important, recruitment, recruitment and recruitment. And Everton are one of the few clubs I can remember who's come in, who have come into millions and millions of pounds and made a concerted effort to make themselves worse. I think I remember, you know, Neil is right to raise the point about these last day transfer sort of trolley dashes, as people call them. Uh, there have been successes, I think, as you mentioned, Fellaini, I think one we can look back on and say that Everton got it right, was um, Gareth Barry, uh, Romelu Lukaku and James McCarthy in that very late uh, dash in Roberto's first season. But last summer, um, the worrying development for me was the, the last day when there was talk of Wilfred Zahar, a, a deal that 
always seemed to be struggling to get over the line uh, for various reasons, whether they actually wanted him, whether they wanted to pay the money for him. And then suddenly out of nowhere comes Alex Awobi, £34 million, you know, as Neil said, suspiciously late. And, um, and someone who, you know, as Neil said, Everton will live to regret paying that £34 million. I spoke to a couple of people at the time who said, Awobi, um, there is an ability there. Um, but he is a player who must be played behind one striker or two in a number 10 position. What you must never, ever do with him, and these were the words that sort of made the blood chill slightly, what you must never, ever do with him is play him wide. And you looked at Everton's team and you thought, well, where is this player going to play? If they're not signing Zahar, where is he going to play wide? And unfortunately, he has confirmed the worst fear, worst fears, isn't it? It's almost just showed a lack of structure, panicking. I think there was there was a bit of ill luck as well, the Gabamin injury, stuff like that. Um, but when you watch the first couple of games, then particularly the Aston Villa away game, I think it's the Friday night game early on, you looked and, and as an Everton fan, you would have had that slightly sinking feeling that you've had before that this team isn't good enough. And it, what it isn't, it wasn't. Um, and again, you go back to the recruitment Marcel Brand's got plenty of praise for bringing in people like Gomez and Dean and people like that and, and Yerry Mina perhaps. Um, but really, last summer was awful. Um, again, um, they, they've spent all this money making the team worse and you just watch them in the last few games and there is so much um, that needs to be done to get rid of people even before you start thinking about bringing people in. So I think Everton's current status is the result of dreadful, unstructured, um, sort of scattergun transfer policy that has led them to where they are now. As Neil said, though, the, the, one, the one sliver of optimism is that they now have a manager in Carlo Ancelotti with a track record of great success and experience. So hopefully he can correct Everton and put them somewhere in, in the direction, at least, of where they want to be going. This is a... Um, but the, I mean, this what happened last summer is not... Uh, unique to last summer, is it? I mean, Mashiri has been here now four and a half years. Um, and OK, we tried to go the director of football model very early on. Um, and we got that recruitment uh, entirely wrong. Not, I don't blame Walsh as much as uh, many other people do, because I think he was brought into a very poor structure and he was probably given, um, you know, a very, very, very short brief. Probably people didn't understand what a football director, a director of football was. At, at Everton, but in those four and a half years, the, almost all of our tra transfer summer transfer windows have been characterised by this sort of you know we chase the stars, we don't get them, and then we end up panicking at the end of the season. What what's going to change this year that's going to make it any different, Neil? It's a good it's a good question. I mean, Everton hired a director of football, initially Walsh, yeah. who had never been a director of football, which raised a few alarm bells about whether we actually understood what the role should be. Um, we then hired Brands, who is a proper director of football, grown up in um, Dutch football, where you know the model has been used very successfully. But we have a director of football, but we have not employed the director of football model because the director of football is clearly not the person picking the coaches. Uh, you know, that's clearly our, our sometimes hands-on, sometimes hands-off owner. 
um, deciding who, who he's going to hire and fire and sort of changing direction every 18 months or so. We've not enforced consistency from the academy level upwards in terms of style of play and in terms of recruitment, um, partially because um, the coach of the under-23s, David Hunter, is very popular with both the fans and with the board and has been given probably more autonomy than is healthy. So that's the first thing that has to change. If we have a director of football, we have to let him do his job. But we've now got one of the most high-profile managers in European football who would reasonably have expected on joining and has probably been promised on joining a degree of control and a degree of influence over who we buy and how we play, etc., that seems at odds with the director of football model. So if we're going to turn it around, Brands and Ancelotti have to spend some serious time together and figure out how they can work effectively in a complementary fashion rather than doing things that cut across each other. Because I think that's what we've seen over the last four or five years is a confused structure, unclear, um, unclear priorities, unclear accountabilities, and a tendency to get in each other's way. And that's got to stop. I think, um, picking up on what Neil said, first of all about Steve Walsh, he was a chief scout at Leicester and a very successful one. And a chief scout is not the same as a director of football. Um, also, of course, he then comes in after Ronald Koeman is appointed, um, which again, you think might be the wrong way around. And then, of course, when Marco Silva arrived, um, he came days after Marcel Brands, but he clearly wasn't Marcel Brands' appointment because Mashiri had chased him, uh, Silva, that is, um, in a very, very ham-fisted fashion um, earlier in the season when he was at Watford. So to say the two were aligned, A, Koeman or Walsh, or B, Silva and Brands, um, I think is, is, is fantasy. And then, of course, we now have, as, you, as Neil says, um, a manager in Ancelotti, vastly experienced, who will have enjoyed this control. And that dynamic between himself and Brands is going to be very interesting because I, I wonder um, how those two people can be on the same page when it comes to the type of signings they want. Will the type of signing that Brands would like, a youngish player, player who can be developed, um, maybe a couple of years on, good sell-on value after giving good service to the club and developing at Everton. Are those the sort of players that, that Carlo Ancelotti would want? I'm not so sure. I think Carlo Ancelotti, while he has shown a willingness to play to play young players, we've seen him play Gordon, Brantwaite, people like that, um, I think he will want in that Everton team, particularly having watched them in the last few games, some hard-nosed, experienced players who have, to an extent, seen it and done it. Um, are those the sort of players Marcel Brands um, would really want? So it's going to be very interesting to how it plays out. What I think they are two, on the surface at least, very civilised, competent individuals. And you would hope that between the two of them, they could form, could form some sort of working relationship. But it would be very interesting over these next few weeks to see how that pans out. Because the more you've watched Everton in these last few weeks, the more you've seen how much work there is to do. I mean, I did another podcast a couple of weeks ago, and one of the phrases I used was that there is now so much deadwood at Goodison Park, um, it's in danger of becoming declared a fire hazard. And the more I've seen the last couple of weeks, the more that deadwood has piled up and the more people need to be got rid of. 
Um, I don't think Ancelotti will hesitate to do it if he can, but it's the if he can. Uh, and as I said, these few weeks, you say it every summer really, where Everson are concerned, uh, could yet be defining weeks for the, for the future of the club, even for the future of Ancelotti, because for the start, they really need to get it right and back in right from the off. Because if you bring in a manager of Ancelotti's reputation, his elite status within the game, he is in managerial terms, football royalty, someone who's won the Champions League three times, titles all over the world. If you then don't back him, then I'm not saying his appointment is pointless, but it immediately dilutes the effectiveness of, of, of the way he will go about his job. There's two points I'd like to raise on that answer, Phil. <clears throat> Firstly, we couldn't get rid of the dead, dead wood in the good times. Mm. So we, we could have had this take out Angelotti for a second. We could have had this discussion 12 months ago and had almost, almost the same discussion in terms of uh, the quality of the squad and the number of people in the squad that yeah. are commanding high wages but actually don't produce any, anything like they should mm. do for Everton Football Club. Um, we couldn't achieve that. Brands could not achieve that last year in terms of getting rid of people because, frankly, people on the types of contracts that they're on um, just don't want to move. <laughs> they may want to play football somewhere, but they don't want to give up yeah. uh, the, the contracts they've got. And secondly, the amount of resource that's going to be provided to Angelotti, and I know I, personally I get a lot of stick uh, from Everton supporters for saying this, um, but we're just, we're just not in a position where we can uh, spend the type of money that would need to be spent, even in a, even in a buyer's market. Um, to get the type of players that you're talking about, you know, the hardened, successful professionals, the ones that have seen it and done it, um, that they're at a premium because every club, every uh, club that's in our position outside the top six wants the same type of player. And there's only a very small pool of those. Um, and I just don't see how we can afford uh, to get that type of player in. Well, I mean, I suppose a, a small start has been made in getting a fair few people off the wage bill in recent weeks. You talk about the likes of, you know, Schneider, and unfortunately, and this might be a trend that develops effectively given away to Nice, not long after spending 25 million on him. You know, people like Stecklenberg have gone, and I'm, I'm certainly not bracketing Leighton Baines with those players. He's one of the greats who's played for the club, but he has gone. Ultimately, they have to somehow find a way. I mean, they they hopefully know more than us about the way they're going to try and do it. But um, they've got, just got to have to find a way. How that happens, I don't know. Um, but they have to find a way of backing this manager. Otherwise, it's absolutely pointless having him. You know, it's, um, they've, they've got to somehow find a way to get rid of some of these players. How you get rid of Guilty Sigurdsson, um, someone who paid £45 million for not so long ago, how they do that, I don't know. But this is what Marcel Brands is paid for. Hopefully they know what's going on inside the club. They know maybe how to finance things. And dare I say it, you have to try and trust Brands and Ancelotti to get it right. Otherwise, um, you're just accepting defeat, aren't you? And saying, well, things aren't going to get much better. Uh, life will go on. And, and you know, Ancelotti will become disillusioned probably by about September. Um, they, they have to find a way of backing him. As far as I understand it, um, from what I've been told, Brands and Ancelotti are very much aligned in what needs to be done and how they're going to do it. Time will tell on how that's done, but I suppose to just say, well, I don't know how we're going to do it, it's not going to happen, it is, is quite defeatist and uh, it would be worrying if the club had that attitude as well, I think. Yeah, I mean, we have a lot of players 
who have been out of loan, out on loan, some of whom are coming back to us. So one problem is moving them again. Um, obviously, with each passing season, some contracts expire, others enter their final year. We'll be a little better placed in a year's time because of that. The big challenge is the very, very high paid, very underperforming. Gilfie Sigurdsson is the poster child for that, um, for right or for wrong. Um, mainly for rights on this year's performances. I'd argue our goalkeeper might sit in that bracket as well, um, as somebody who is not an asset at the moment, but may not have a, a lot of market value either because of the season he's just had and because of the way he's handled some of the criticism he's received, which has continued to uh, raise questions about his maturity and his focus. So, yes, it's going to be hard. Um, we're probably not going to be able to move everybody. We're going to have to be creative. As Phil said, we're going to have to give some people away um, if we can. And I think we just have to be realistic as a fan base to accept that Brands and Ancelotti have a difficult job this summer in a very unusual set of circumstances. That you know The, the current COVID world is having an impact on uh, football finances, but it's also having an impact on players. Perhaps England I, 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 in, I, I, in the COVID. I, I was just going to say, perhaps England in the COVID universe and Brexit universe mm. is not as attractive as it has been to one or two of the players who run our books. Mm. And may, maybe they might see this as a good time to move. I think. I think um, any Everton fan who, and I think most of them are pretty realistic, who thinks they're going to switch their television on in six weeks and see Everton transformed into a side chasing for the top four um, is probably living in fantasy land. I think, um, as Neil has expressed, with all the particular factors he's mentioned, um, I know it's a horrible thing to say, but there just has to be some realism and some patience. The Everton will not be transformed overnight. There's been too much damage done over the last four or five years with this lack of structure, this scattergun policy, which... I almost felt at one point uh, Ronald Koeman, who I actually didn't mind Ronald Koeman for most of the time he was there. I mean, he did get to seventh in his first season. It was almost like, okay, if you want him, I want him between him and Walsh. It was completely, it, it was an absolute mess. Um, we've just got to hope, as far as Everson are concerned, that uh, Brands and Ancelotti can form this good working relationship and try and repair so much damage that has been done over the last four years. As I say, you look at the side at the moment, and they were so poor in so many of those games towards the end of the season. Um, the Everton fans were probably looking and be, were grateful for that surge of points they got before lockdown under Ancelotti when they had that very good run. As for Pickford, <coughs> excuse me, I think that is a problem that has developed over the season. And I do seriously think now that there is, a, there is a question for Paolo Ancelotti to confront on Jordan Pickford. Um, also, the backup isn't up to much either. Lossell um, is very much a journeyman keeper. Uh, Javajin, a young, young keeper who had, who had a dreadful, nightmarish spell on loan at Reading from what Reading fans who I know have said to me. And of course, Stecklenburg has gone back to Ajax. But Pickford's performances uh, have fallen off a cliff. I mean, we talk about the mistakes he made against Crystal Palace, Manchester United, obviously the one the other day against Bournemouth. 
But then you also think of the ones he got away with as well. You think of the one that went through his legs against Leicester City and he was very fortunate Michael Keane was standing right behind him. Similar incidents of Wolves where the ball went through his hands or his legs, I can't remember which, and he recovered it right on the goal line. These mistakes are far too regular. But, and, and I thought in Jordan Pickford's first season, he was excellent. There's no doubt about that. He was excellent. But he has gone into a very, very strange decline over the last 12 months where mistakes are more and more regular, more and more damaging. And actually, he could have caused more damage results-wise uh, than he actually has in the last few weeks because he's been lucky to get away with a lot of mistakes as well. So I do seriously think now, having not thought that in the early months of the season or in particularly recent seasons, if you like, there is a genuinely serious question to ask about whether Jordan Pickford should be Everton's first choice goalkeeper next season. And that is such a vital position. It affects everybody else in the team. And he is not spreading confidence at the moment. He is spreading nervousness to a team that, that doesn't need any help to, to cave in on itself at the moment. Just one point on Sigurdsson. I think Sigurdsson is a very, very talented player. Um, but to me, he has always been a luxury player. And I think he has a level. He didn't step up when he went to Spurs, which was his first big move, if you like. And while he did okay at Everton last season, um, I just think he has a level that maybe he, he doesn't go above. And to me, if I could try and sum him up, he is a luxury player. Uh, and this Everton team cannot afford luxury players. Um, it cannot afford players who will dip in and out like him and maybe make the occasional stellar contribution. But again, £45 million, I would imagine a fairly hefty wage packet. Do you just give him away? I mean, that that would be what it what a what a monument to to a disastrous transfer policy that would be. Yeah, can't can't disagree with much that you said there. The, the thing that frustrates me is that very few we bring very few players into the club um, that improve, and you know Pickford, I think is is, is an example. I think he, I think he's a and you know, I can be quite harsh on this. I think, I think he's, I think he's, um, he has a sort of certain character character defect. I think he's a, he's almost like a Gaza in terms of uh, his maturity levels. But why isn't that identified at the point where a player comes to the club, and then why isn't it when the case that when he's at the club, we do something to to improve that? I'll let you start on that one. <laughs> yeah, I, thank you, Phil. Um, I, I think if we look at our last 25 years, just in total, the one period where we were somewhat consistently competitive was a period that was highlighted by stability. Um, obviously, the Moyes era... We, you know, he was the manager for a long time. We had pretty stable coaching staff. Um, we had pretty stable boardroom. I mean, with all of its faults, in the Bill Kenwright era, there was at least a degree of, you know, stability there. And there wasn't perhaps, there wasn't an attempt to live beyond our means. I think stability is the thing that the club really lacked in the Missouri era. Um, that we've had a lot of changes in the boardroom. Um, Mashiri himself is sometimes involved and sometimes not involved. We've had constant churn in managers. 
And I think when you have an unstable environment, when you're constantly changing managers, it's very, very difficult for players to improve once they arrive because they're being coached differently every 18 months. And I think we have to recognise that for some of the players who have struggled, and I would agree with everything Phil says about Sigurdsson, who is a gifted player, but plays a certain way in a certain style and was brought to play in a certain system and has largely not fit since Koeman left. Um, if we cannot produce a degree of stability off the field and a degree of stability in the coaching, we're unlikely to ever be very good at developing players once they reach the first team squad um, because you, you just can't get... It takes time and attention, day in, day out, week in, week in, week out, over an elongated period of time to get that kind of improvement. Now, I also think the recruitment side of it needs stability as well. And so while the jury is definitely out on brands, done some okay things, done some pretty horrible things, um, often seeming to be playing second fiddle to the manager who's got the most authority over who, who we buy. You can't select, you can't, you can't do the scouting work, the hard yards to look at players' character and culture and dressing room fit. Firstly, if you don't have the culture in a dressing room environment, how do you pick people to fit them? And right now, I don't think we do have a culture and identity etc so it's hard to pick players who to fit what we have we've got to create something from scratch but we also need a period of stability in the people doing that so brands and Ancelotti we really need them to be paired for the next three years mm. and just to be allowed to get on with their job quietly and there is a chance that if they are as good as you know brands reputation before he joined us and Ancelotti's track record suggests they are there is a chance that given that stability, given maybe a little more hands-off attitude from the board, a tendency not to dip in and dip out on the football side so much, that we will improve. But if we don't, if we don't get stability, we're not going anywhere. I, th I think the other thing, to, uh, and again, stability, as you say, is absolutely key. I think if you go back to Moyes, while David Moyes was, was the manager, he was also the head coach as well. He, he was very much a coach. I mean, even when he first arrived, everyone will remember, he used to join in the warm-up for the players before the game. He was absolutely hands-on. He would watch players, probably through force of finances. I can't remember, there was some amazing story about how many times he watched Julian Lesker before he actually bought him. Uh, stability is the key. And as we've seen with clubs like Watford, eventually you will pay a very hefty price for, for constant instability. I'm not saying Everton will end up getting relegated, but they will not get anywhere near what, where they want to be if they keep changing managers. The unfortunate thing is, I think most people would agree that when they have changed managers in recent times, that those managers had to be changed. I think Roberto Martinez, for all his good work in his first season, uh, by his third, it had clearly gone pretty horribly wrong. Ronald Koeman, I always have a slight hesitation when I say it was right to sack him because I think the structure was wrong. He may have been a difficult person to manage because he was very single-minded about what he wanted. But I think the dynamic between him and Steve Walsh wasn't right. Um, obviously, Allardyce, fairly loveless few months at the club. I don't think you'd find a single Everton fan who suggested it was wrong to to, to maybe part ways with him. And of course, Marco Silva, as, as we alluded to earlier, that final 5-2 defeat at Liverpool, 
really had to be the, at the end for him. He was he was broken as a manager. It had worn him down uh, after moments of promise in his first season. Um, but now, as you say, we have a, a man in Brands who came with from PSV with a huge reputation. He was regarded as one of the the, the models for how how it worked as far as director of football is concerned. And now we have a manager, one of the most decorated figures and highly respected figures in world football. So maybe people are just going to have to be a bit more patient. Uh, again, so he used that word football fans don't like to hear. Um, uh, over the next months, couple of seasons even. Uh, but really, you know, the, the road in a footballing context, the road to ruin is constant instability. And unfortunately, in Everton's case, constant wasting of lots of money over the last few seasons. That has to change because it's unsustainable on many, many levels. And it certainly would be reflected when you looked at the league table as well, because uh, this season has really been, I mean, some of the performances have been very, very grim. I thought things picked up when Ancelotti first arrived. They got results, perhaps not without playing magnificently, but they were getting results. But some of the efforts since the, the restart I mean, it's a strong word to use, but they've been pathetic, really. They, you know, the, the one at Wolves in particular uh, was a shocker. Um, they, you know, they almost like the rot set in at half-time against Leicester City. I mean, it, it needed Carlo Ancelotti's intervention to put that one right. Um, reasonable at Sheffield United, but um, in many ways, the performance, although I, I only watched it later because I was elsewhere on the day, Everyone tells me the performance against Bournemouth was, was abysmal and summed up so much of the season. Uh, perhaps Ancelotti might use that as a reminder to the board of what needs doing, but it certainly can't all be done at once. And so uh, I think there has to be a measure of patience and particularly, as Neil rightly says, of stability because the way Everton Football Club has conducted itself in terms of managers and turnover over the last few years uh, simply can't carry on. It's, it won't be a success and, and, it's, and it's not sustainable. You know, it's interesting. I, I made this comment elsewhere. Um, one would have thought that in the period, in in the lockdown period when we weren't playing, that Angelotti would have gone round all the players and said, "Look, there's clearly going to be change at Everton Football Club because we can't continue the way that we are, and you know, the squad is not um, balanced, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. You've got nine. You, you've got nine games to play for your future. This, you know, if, if I jokingly, if I if I was Angelotti or I I was a manager or if I was a board member of Everton Football Club, I would have used that period of time, the ten weeks or so that were, there was no, it wasn't that long, however long it was that there was no football, to go around everybody and say you've got nine games left in this season, it's a mini season, and you're playing for your futures because there's going to be change in the summer. There doesn't seem to be any anybody who's prepared to um, take the challenge of creating change within the organisation. Um, well, I'll, uh, I'll I'll sort of jump in on that one. I, I agree with you. I thought the players looked completely lacking in motivation yep. and inspiration, uh, and you almost wonder. I mean, I I wouldn't imagine uh, Ancelotti didn't give them a reminder of what was at stake for them personally and for the club. In the wider in the wider picture um, maybe some of them uh, are beyond motivation um, it's a terrible thing to say um, but um, if it can work one way and they have those 10 weeks as you say to try and cement their future uh, perhaps if you flip it around some of them have cemented their future and their future will be elsewhere 
because if they're trying to forge a place under Ancelotti at a club like Everton in, in the coming seasons, then there aren't many, you would say, came anywhere near doing that in those closing weeks. So at least one way or another, for right or wrong, you would hope that his mind has been made up about a lot of those players. Um, because surely, I mean, uh, you look at a man with his his wisdom and track record, he will have looked at so many of those players and just said, well, they're just not up to this. I mean, the midfield in particular, um, having covered Everton for so long, I've seen some pretty grim uh, midfields in my time. Um, but that one I've seen over the last few weeks, um, it's in the face of some pretty stiff competition, is one of the worst Everton midfields I have ever seen. In fact, at some points, it you know it could always be described as non-existent. Um, I mean, Gomez, I have a slight measure of sympathy with because he did come back very quickly from a very serious injury, but he's looked off the pace. Um, Tom Davis, um, I, it's hard to say it about a young lad, but I just don't think I'm not sure he's the player everyone will, will wanted him to become when they first saw him. Um, I'm not quite sure what he contributes to the team. Maybe he's not playing in a role that suits him. But uh, Everton's midfield in the last few weeks has offered nothing in the way of protection to the defence. It's offered little or nothing in the way of creation uh, to its attack. Um, there's no competitive instinct in there to win the ball. Um, and I've probably illustrated some of its good points there. Um, it's just, it is literally one of the worst Everton midfields I have ever seen. How it will improve, other than with a complete rebuild, um, I'm not sure because at times you watched it and it was so bad, it was actually quite alarming, uh, the lack of effectiveness. Um, and while people might think I'm being harsh here, I, I'm not sure so many would actually disagree with me if they were being realistic. There's a few things to unpack in that. Can I, can I, a couple of things I'd just like to say quickly, Paul. Um, yep. one, one is that I think we talk a lot about culture in sports and in business, about how important setting the right culture is. Um, in the environment at Everton, there's been a lot of organisational instability. Instability tends to produce uncertainty um, in people's minds. Uncertainty tends to create pressure and it tends to pr um, produce caution and careful decision-making. And I think we see that a bit with some of the players who've been in the club environment for, for a period of time, that they seem to go into their shell, that they stop expressing themselves, they stop standing up to be counted, they become more and more diffident in how they play the game. And I think a lot of that is because the dressing room environment must just be pretty horrible. Um, you know, it's been a revolving door of managers, um, it's been poor results for a long period. There's, you know, pressure, uncertainty, scrutiny. Um, our horrible neighbours are, you know, have been absolutely dominant this season and have set standards that we've not even come close to approaching, even on our good days. Um, it's very, very hard for players to perform to their best if the environment around them isn't conducive to that. I don't think the environment is conducive to performance at Everton. Having said that, we also have to accept that quite a lot of the players are just not up to standard. Um, I actually thought you were quite kind about our midfield, 
um, it's a black hole. It's, you know, hope goes to die in our midfield. We, we do nothing well, literally nothing well. We don't shield the defence well. We don't um, pressure the opponent. We don't turn the ball over and get possession. When we do have possession, we don't pass it to our own players. We don't make penetrating forward passes. We don't make penetrating forward runs from midfield. Um, football teams have stability. But we always talk about the spine. Goalkeeper, centre-back, centre-midfield, centre-forward. Right now, Everton are kind of okay at centre-back and centre-forward. I'm not saying that we couldn't improve in both of those areas. We could. But they are not our problem. Our problem is lack of confidence in our goalkeeper and a midfield that only scares our fans. Well, you, watched, you watched Southampton. I'm just picking a game out of thin hair, thin hair here. Thin hair, I could say that about myself. Uh, thin hair. Um, and for the first 45 minutes of that game, the way Southampton, uh, under Hassan Huttle, overran Everton, um, just their movement. And, and you're, not, you're not picking out one of the... You know, one of the superpowers of European football there. You're talking about Southampton, who've recovered magnificently from that terrible result they had in October. But they had a midfield who was mo- that was mobile. They were winning the ball. They were creating things. They had energy. Um, I just think you, you watch that Everton midfield. And, you know, I, I, as Neil said, there is, there is nothing there. You know, mm. tell, tell me what it does. Tell me what it actually does in terms of making a con- positive contribution to the well-being of that football team. And the answer at the moment is nothing. Absolutely nothing. Um, you know, in simple terms, as I tried to state it, they don't protect the defence. They don't create anything for the attack. There's no one in there who the opposition will think, oh, he's going to make our life a bit uncomfortable, even if it's the odd, you know, not that I'm advocating it, of course, leaving the odd foot in or something like that. There's nothing. There is nothing there. There's no ball winner. Delph was bought to provide leadership and a little bit of that digging in. I mean, he's pretty much been absent for the whole season. And when he's played, he's, he's not performed well. Um, There's just nothing in that midfield for me that that does anything good for that football team. That is a huge problem um, for a football team to have and for a manager to have and also for a manager to try and solve. That, isn't, that is not a quick or cheap job. The other thing, again, which, as we say, has come slightly out of left field, although there was always a worry, um, is the goalkeeper, um, who is spreading nervousness like a rash throughout that football team. Um, because, you know, I, I remember speaking to, to um, Alan Hansen about Bruce Grobelar doing a, a piece on him. And he said, while the perception of Grobelar was of this sort of, you know, slightly maverick figure, he said the great thing about Grobelar was you knew what he was going to do. If the ball came into the area, he would come and get it. So he provided certainty and he said, what you want from your goalkeeper, sometimes it will work, sometimes it might not, is certainty. All Everton get at the moment from Pickford and maybe a little break from football will help him, although he's just had a three or four month break from football. He is uncertainty, 100% unabashed uncertainty. And that is a major problem. Um, but I, I never thought I would reach this point, but I've reached it now where I do think his mistakes are becoming so regular and so damaging to the confidence of the team as a whole that, that he might need replacing. Um, again, that will not come cheap. 
Um, is there some sort of experience still hand out there who might do a turn for a while, say someone like Romero at Manchester United, who's a decent keeper? I don't know. But um, as, as Neil rightly said, uh, the, the midfield for me, watching Everton, as I said earlier, that is, it is one of the worst Everton midfields I've ever seen in terms of its contribution, or should I say total lack of contribution to the well-being of that football team. Uh, anyway, given um, that it's unusual for just changing tack slightly, given that it's unusual for, say, a new player to come into a club and become captain of a club in, in, in his first season, um, and I'm not trying to lead uh, anybody into an answer here, but who should be captain of Everton Football Club uh, next season? <laughs> That's not leading us into an answer. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let, me, I'll, I'll let Neil go first and I'll have a crack at that. Um, we don't... You look at our team and I think one of the consistent complaints from fans of all ages um, with Everton is there's not much in the way of leadership. Mm-hmm. There isn't... There aren't strong personalities. Now, Pickford's actually a strong personality, but unfortunately, he's a chaotic personality. So, you know, he's the opposite of what you want. You want the sort of strong, stable, we will fight for 90 minutes every game, we will give everything we have. Um, And you want someone who will kind of lead by example. I really don't see that. So I think it's not impossible that the the next season will be somebody that we buy. Um, And we'll ask them to come in and we'll ask them to work with Ancelotti and his team in reshaping that dressing room culture. I think that's a completely viable option. I think if we are picking somebody from within the current squad, the only one, I don't think he's ready yet, but the one who might grow into it is Mason Holgate. 100% agree with that. 100% agree with that. And the reason I agree with it is because having sat in the Derby game in the silence of the stadium, the amount of guidance and shouting and not up and at them, it was more constructive than that from Holgate um, was very refreshing. He was not scared to take responsibility. He was not scared to dig his colleagues out. Um, as Neil said, maybe not quite ready yet. Um, but I came away from that game thinking sort of as a sort of an observer from the sidelines. I thought, yeah, I can see that because he was very, very vocal. Uh, not just in a vocal, a vocal sake type of way. And he had that touch of leadership about him. Maybe not quite yet, who knows? But sometimes, you know, you, you think, well, is there anybody better? I'm not suggesting instantly, but I do agree with Neil that Holgate has, certainly on the evidence of what I saw and heard, and his performances have improved so much over the last 12 months. I think he benefited from being at West Brom on loan. Um, he has the potential, I think, to be a leader. Um, I think at the moment, Seamus Coleman is about the best the best you could get of those who are there. I can't think of anyone better than him unless you want to maybe make someone like Dean captain. Um, I mean, it's a little bit of a movable feast, the captain's armband in recent seasons, isn't it? With people, you know, I've seen various people have it. Uh, at the moment, I would say Coleman is probably the best of those who are there. But looking ahead, <clears throat> I think the alternatives are, as you say, sign someone of great experience who comes in and uh, does it? I mean, I don't know. I mean, Everton have been linked with Thiago Silva from PSG. He's very much a leadership figure. 
um, both for club and his country. Uh, and I'm not quite sure how, how his English shapes up or whether he'd be able to do that or whether he'd just lead by example, even if Everton do sign him. But certainly, Holgate is someone who struck me just on the basis of what I saw for those 90 minutes. So I'm only judging it on that. As someone who had leadership qualities, if you like, that could be developed and improved over time into a potential captain. Yeah, I, I, it's unusual for three people all to agree. I, I actually think he should be given the armband now and I think um, give, give the opportunity for the lad to grow into the role um, at a time when probably expectations for next season aren't, aren't massive anyway. So it's not, it's not a question of him being in such a demanding role that we, you know, we must get European football or we must get Champions League football or we must win a trophy or whatever. I don't know whether that, you know, I don't know what, where the ambitions, actually it's a decent question to ask, where, where will the ambitions be set for next season? Um, one of the things that's interested me about Angelotti in recent uh, weeks is there seem to be slightly mixed messages coming out from him. And I'm not sure whether he's trying to uh, put pressure on the board at times or, or, or he's just speaking, you know, from, from, from the heart. Um, but the idea that we just sort of evolve rather than a revolution, which goes back to your point, I think, Neil, about intent, some forms of stability. But then at the same time, he's, you know, he talks about having to be backed by the board. I mean, what, what, is, what is the ambition for next year? <laughs> Shall I lead on that one? Yeah, go on, Neil, yeah, fine. I mean, for the whole of the Mashiri era so far has been characterised by lofty ambitions, and fairly pitiful outcomes. Yep. And, you know, that might sound brutal, but, you know, let's be honest. We, we were 12. We were actually lucky to be 12. We were flattered by being 12. Um, we, we were 12 because Richardson and Calvert-Lewin gave us more cutting edge than most of the teams who traditionally struggle in the Premier League because they normally struggle for goals. Um, so. We need, we need to start out being a little more humble um, in terms of setting our ambitions for next season. You know, absolutely, Everton as a club should have its medium-term ambition as being competing um, for the European places with regularity and being a threat to win trophies. You know, that's where we need to get to. But right now, we are not even in, you know, we're not in the same country as that, let alone the same postcode as that. So let's set some humble ambitions. Let's try to fix the spine of the team. Let's, you know, if we're going to improve, and coming back to the question you asked earlier, how do we improve? How do we get? To, how do we become better? You have to recognise your failings, and you have to solve the right problems. So create some stability. Focus on creating an identity and culture, a way of playing, an atmosphere in the dressing room, and fixing the spine of the team. So being stronger goalkeeper through centre-back, through central midfield, through centre-forward. And the priority this year has got to be centre-midfield because that is just the calamity for us. Um, and set humble expectations that we will look more like a football team. We will compete. We will run. We will tackle. We will pass the ball to our own players. Uh, you know, let's just try and say we will play better football. And we will see where that takes us. Um, now, that doesn't mean not trying. 
to challenge for Europe. It doesn't mean um, not wanting, not having internal ambitions that might be set a little bit higher than that. It just means stop talking big in public and delivering small on the pitch. I think all the simple things that Neil has suggested there with, with the, the phrase at the end, let's see where it takes Everton, um, it actually could take them reasonably far because the, the, when I say far, I don't mean as, you know, let's not get carried away instantly or go against the message Neil's just said. The outside three or four, there aren't too many wonderful teams in the Premier League. So you could certainly find your way into the top 10 um, with some sensible uh, work and, and, a, and doing what Neil has just said. As I said, a fairly simple suggest pass to each other, but even that seems to have been lost in recent weeks. Um, but just do it sort of quietly and sensibly. And I do think at least in people like Brands and Ancelotti, Everton have people who are measured and sensible and calm. So, but to go back to your original question about evolution, um, I do think maybe Ancelotti's had a look at it and thought, well, this isn't a job that's going to be fixed in five minutes, but there does need to be some, some sensible evolution this summer, starting, as we said, with that central midfield. Um, and Ancelotti is not someone for the big statement. He won't come out and say, we're going to do this, that and the other. He'll be, he'll be measured about it. Um, uh, and as Neil said, just go about your business. Don't, um, don't be saying this, that or the other. We're going to try and do this. Just go about your business. And, and it, it is a cliche, but you hear lots of people say it. And it's true. See where that takes you. Um, just do it quietly, sensibly. Um, not in the background, but do it quietly and, and see where you end up. Doesn't sound very thrilling, does it? <laughs> and, well, well. At, at the moment, it's not very thrilling, is it? Let's be honest. Um, you know, fans might not like to hear it, but equally, the big talk has been there in recent seasons and Everton finished 12th. So it might not sound very thrilling, but it's realistic. Um, there's no escaping the reality at the moment. Everton are a very poor football team and they've wasted hundreds of millions of pounds as a club over the last three or four years. That in itself isn't very thrilling, but it's the reality. And you have to start the building back from somewhere. And, and I agree with Neil. It might not sound thrilling, but it sounds sensible. And sometimes, certainly given some of the more thrilling things Everton have done over the last three or four seasons, I think common sense is much preferable to that. Yeah. And what, what, one of the most enjoyable period as an Everton fan um, for me was sort of the back end of the 83-84 season um, and it, we weren't thrilling you know we weren't we we did um, you know go on a cup run and we did begin to turn our form around in the league but it was the fact that you could actually see that there was something happening yeah, yeah. you could see the team was coming together you could see that the foundations were in place for a team that could kick on and could challenge and could go on to do good things. And, of course, he went on to do great things. Mm -hmm. And I think success for us next season might be putting some of those foundations in place and having fans looking at our team and saying, you know what, we're beginning, we're beginning to get there. You know, mm -hmm. we're, we're getting there. And fans... Fans are fickle and we're impatient and we're easily frustrated and we, we always want instant success and particularly with um, our neighbours at the moment setting such a high standard. Um, you know, that makes it more painful.
for us to be rubbish and it makes it harder for us to be patient. But if, you can, if we can just fix a couple of the obvious problems in this team, a couple of the obvious weaknesses in this squad, and if we can show that we are, we're learning some lessons and we're not going to constantly change direction every 18 months, and we're going to give brands and Ancelotti some time, and if we just do some basics right, our fan base is smart enough and has been around football for long enough to know that that is a path that's worth following. So, you know, I think, I think we, yes, it's not thrilling, but we need to stop, ch- stop chasing the thrill, mm-hmm. do the hard work to earn the opportunity to succeed. Yeah, it's, you've, you've, got to, you've got to accept the reality of the current situation. Um, Everton are 12th. They are a very, very poor football team at the moment compared to others who you think, you know, you look around and they are, the last few weeks have been a real look at a cold water, I think, for a lot of people who've watched that, you know, maybe even for Ancelotti himself. Um, thrilling can be good and bad. Sometimes I think sensible building and as you say, eventually maybe seeing signs of progress uh, is better than um, some of the thrills in inverted commas um, that have been on offer in recent in recent years. I think there is that sense that there needs some stability. Somebody needs to be given time to try and build something without any hysteria for changes of managers. Um, although I happen to agree with pretty much every change of manager that there's been. But eventually, when you think you've got the right man, and Everton are paying a lot of money for someone they think is the right man with the track record, you have to leave them to it and just build slowly and sensibly <clears throat> if something more positive than you're expecting happens then great but there has to be that period as neil said of stability and of a sensible approach you know as you said paul it doesn't sound thrilling but ultimately in the end whereas looking for something thrilling got the club it's got them absolutely nowhere so maybe now is the time for that sensible approach and that calm approach that might turn things around yeah. I, I, agree, so, I, I agree totally with both of you in terms of you know we have to lay some foundations for future success and you know that's going to take take some time i i guess my 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 question to that would be whether or not um that that fits mashiri is mashiri the type of person that you know will say okay i accept that it's going to take another two or three years before we get to the point where perhaps we're um competitive for European football, competitive for one or two um, trophies, you know, a, a cup, etc. I just, I just wonder whether he's got the, um, the discipline for that. And it seems very odd saying that because clearly he's a man who, you know, has uh, built a very successful business with with his partners, um, and must have demonstrated success and long term sort of strategic planning over over a period of time. But not once in his four and a half years at Everton have I ever felt that he's demonstrated that at Everton. And that, excuse me, and that to me is the is the big issue, particularly then when you uh, have a board that doesn't seem capable of showing leadership itself. You know, it's one thing for to have a an owner of a business or owner of a football club that shows leadership and direction and ambition, um, but also the board has to do that, and it. Um, you know, if I if, if I look through all of the football clubs in the Premier League, even those that were relegated this year, possibly with the exception of Watford, I think we've got the weakest board in the Premier League. 
Shall I tackle this one? Shall I tackle this one? <laughs> as long as you let me tackle it after you. I, 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 I will do. So, so Mashiri, um, I think, came in and I think some of his early comments indicated the mindset that he had, that he genuinely thought that given where Everton were, and, you know, remembering that, you know, where we were at the time, sort of mid-table, he genuinely thought there was a window of opportunity to break into the top six or so and to be regular European contenders. And the thing that had been holding the club back was a lack of money. And I think pretty much 95% of our fan base would have agreed with him um, in that assessment at that time. Now, obviously, we have spent badly and we have been inconsistent in our approach and we have changed managers too frequently mainly because we've been bad at picking managers, um, which, again, is, is always a problem. Always, we'll always get a club in trouble. So the question becomes, is Mashiri the kind of person who can admit to mistakes and learn from them? Now, the success that he's had in his wider career should suggest that he is. The fact that, you know, he's a finance guy as well. Um, you know, he's an accountant at heart. He should be data-led. He should be able to step beyond the emotion and to say, well, actually, what we're doing is not working and we need to do, we need to do something different. However, the proof will be in the pudding. So if we go out and splurge some ridiculous amount of money on a luxury item like Zahar, then we'll know he's not learned. I mean, how we could finance it and afford it, we'll just put to one side. But if that's the kind of transfer business we do this summer, then as fans, we should be really, really worried because it just shows we haven't learned a thing. If, on the other hand, we work more quietly, we pick up players who Ancelotti is happy with, but we do our business in a way that is more sensible and more measured, more mature, um, we're not overspending on, um, uh, you know, uh, names, and we're looking you know, around the smaller leagues, etc. Actually, we're behaving a bit more like David Moyes did um, in terms of finding talent, then, yeah, he will have learned. Now, in terms of the rest of the board, the truth is Everton have not made much progress commercially. There's a lot riding on the stadium. Um, I think we're going to have to sort of slightly reserve final judgment until, A, we know whether we've got planning permission, and B, we know whether we can fund it. If we wind up with spades in the ground and a new stadium being built, then we'd have to recognise that even though this board does have weaknesses and a real lack of commercial nous and strength is what is the obvious weakness, they will have achieved something that um, no Everton board has achieved for 30, 40 years. If they don't, then I think all of your criticisms of them in the, in the past will probably turn out to be fair. But I think it's too early to judge for me. Phil? Well, first of all, I don't think... Uh, he's a bit of a sort of a, a contradiction <laughs> in many ways, uh, Mashiri, isn't he? Because I don't think anyone with Everton's best interests at heart could doubt his ambition or his willingness to finance his ambition. I think we've seen that. Um, I think particularly in the appointment of Ancelotti, I think most Everton fans of my acquaintance, when the name Carlo Ancelotti was mentioned as a potential successor to Marco Silva, 
um, either raised an eyebrow or laughed and say, well, that's not going to happen. But he has this, you know, he, he does have an ambition misplaced at times, like when he first came in and started to buy, buy the big players in. And on this occasion, it came off. He, he pulled off a real coup in bringing Ancelotti to the club. Yeah. I think the, the problem is that, in my opinion, he doesn't have strong enough, maybe, footballing advice to tell him just to say, OK, just keep your foot on the ball and do the sort of things that Neil is suggesting Edson should do now, which is work the markets carefully. Now, to me, this is where Brands should come in as the director of football. He's on the board now. Um, he should be saying to Mashiri, and Mashiri should listen to him. And as Neil said, learn the lessons when he looks in his wallet four years after he started as Everton and sees it's an awful lot lighter, but not that very much in return. He should listen. And I also think maybe someone else should come onto the board, who that person is, I don't know, to offer stronger footballing guidance and advice. I think the board needs that. Um, but I think... Mashiri, ambition, fantastic, willing to finance, fantastic. Um, but he should learn that he's wasted. His wallet is an awful lot lighter than it was, and he's not seeing much of an improvement on the pitch for his wallet being that much lighter. I think he needs to listen to brands now, listen to Ancelotti. He's got the manager he's always wanted. What were the, one of the first, you know, we want a Hollywood manager. That was the phrase he used. He's got him now. Ancelotti won't like that description because he's not a Hollywood type of person. But in the football context, Ancelotti is that Hollywood manager. He's got the director of football he wanted. Now, in many ways, he should just step back and let them do it. If, as you say, I mean, Zaha to me would be, again, a monument to the folly. If Wilfred Zaha costs how much would 60, 70 million pounds? If Everton could suddenly magic up 70 million pounds to buy Wilfred Zaha, you would say, don't spend it on him, spend it on two midfield players, as simple as that, or one. Um, if they did something like that, then you would think maybe it's that excitable edge to his character that hasn't calmed down yet and hasn't learned from mistakes. I think a lot will be revealed in the next few weeks about how they go about things. If it's calm, measured, maybe not players who will have their fans throwing up their arms in joy and be thrilled, but players who will come in and do the sort of job that is required. I do think these next few weeks will be really very interesting into how Mashiri approaches it. Because I do think he does need to start taking strong footballing advice on how to take the club forward. Because let's face it, up to now, it simply hasn't worked. This football team now is arguably, it may not even be arguably, worse than the one that was playing for Everton when he arrived at the club. But the next few weeks are going to be very, very interesting. Wilfred Zaha, uh, you could almost see it, couldn't you? Everton spending £60 million, maybe they didn't have a Wilfred Zaha, and he comes and assists three or four goals next season, makes no difference. Whereas that sort of money, with measured calm assessments of what is actually required in that football team, might make a difference. Whether it's there or not, again, as Neil says, who knows? But the next few weeks, I think, will be very, very informative into the way the club is heading forward under Ancelotti and Brands. And maybe if Mashiri is prepared to just sit back and say, OK, let's do it in a slightly different, less dramatic way, but maybe with better results in the end. Yeah, I, I, I agree with all, all of that, Phil. Gents, we, we've been talking for an hour. Um, been very interesting. And I hope the people that listen to this find it equally, equally interesting too. Um, there's no doubt about it that we're in a... Um, 
well, it's been a strange old year and we're in a strange position. We're in a position where after four and a half years of Mashiri, we're, as Phil just said, we're going to find out an awful lot about what the short-term future for Everton is, whether we are going to go in a different direction because we've got better quality management in terms of Angelotti and brands, or whether it's going to be more of the same, possibly excitement in the short term, but none of the foundations uh, built for long-term sustainable success. Gents, thanks so much for your time. Um, it's been a great pleasure. And um, pleasure. I, hope, I hope we can do this again, um, maybe later in the year, and we can show evidence of the very sensible things that you've both said um, starting to appear to come out of uh, Goodison Park. Thank you. Thank you.